to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. Visit abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW for 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code Colby Show for 15% off with Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right, we're talking Kwame Brown wanting all the smoke. We're talking about NBA busts and the Oklahoma City Thunder's tank job and realistic expectations for Thunder basketball going forward with today's guest, Eric G. Eric G, my friend, happy Tuesday. What is going on? God bless you, Colby Daniels. God bless you for calling attention to maybe the greatest viral video that we have seen in the last month, and that is Kwame Brown going scorched earth. Who was it on? It was on, who did he go? It was on Gilbert Arenas. Matt Barnes, who, who Gilbert Arenas, and Steven Jackson. Wow. That is the, okay, we have been joking, like my producer and I have been joking about uh, making a Pat Jones revenge movie trailer using all of Coach Jones' catchphrases. And, hey, God bless Coach Jones because he's actually, he thinks the idea is kind of funny. We think it would be great, too. But it almost seems like it's not even worth it to try and go down that road now because Kwame Brown has just done the best revenge like anyone could have ever come up with. I mean, right now, he is just on a mission to absolutely embarrass these people. And what's funny he's done it because everybody that 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 seemed to talk about him being a bust is now in position where they have to apologize profusely because he is just he is unleashed holy hell like every everything they want to keep locked in the closet every secret they have that they would wish you would not talk about Kwame Brown is determined to make sure that we all know about it like Every little thing they could be picked apart with, Kwame Brown has just come to the front, which is a good lesson for us all. Like, if you are going to go and rip a former coworker, if you are going to rip one of your relatives, um, if you're going to take a former friend and, and you decide the best way to handle this, get on social media, go Facebook Live, go to Instagram. Um, do a video on YouTube. Just remember, they know your secrets as well. So while it may be all funny, ha-ha, like, oh, let's talk about this guy. He was such a jerk. He was this, that. Yeah, just remember, they can play that card too. And sometimes when they play that card, it is a hell of a lot worse than, than you just joking around. So um, good for Kwame Brown. He is now... Like so much, like I'm on eBay right now looking for a Kwame Brown jersey. <laughs> that, that's how that's how much he is my hero right now. I'm, I'm looking for it now. K W A M E Kwame Kwame Brown trading cards. Let's see what I got for Kwame Brown. All right, there's a lot of trading cards there. I'm a bunch in jersey. There we go, Kwame Brown jersey on eBay. Um, well, the question: Are you going Lakers jersey? Are you going uh, Wizards jersey? Like which? Uh... What direction I think are you I'm going? Go with McDonald's All American jersey oh, that I can get for forty four, forty four, forty nine, which seems like a bargain because um, I think Kwame Brown jerseys might be the hottest, might be the hottest item to to, to grab at at this very moment. 
So if you want one, get him now because for the next 24 hours, he has become the most popular man in sports. By the way, great tweet with you uh, using the Rod gift there. <laughs> that is just oh my gosh! This is the best. It, that's the best NBA content we have going right now because the Thunder sure aren't worth oh, talking my, about my. after they won. It, after it, they won, it might be the best thing in sports going right now. I mean, I was I, I came across this last night right before bed, and I I saw that Kwame Brown was trending yesterday, but I I, I didn't really have time to follow up and and see why. And I'm on my phone last night, right before I go to sleep, and I stumble across these Kwame Brown videos, and I'm like, what is happening here? And I watch the first video, and I am rolling. I'm just like, holy cow, this dude is going off. And there's like five videos, I think, total. I I don't know how many for sure, but I think it's like five. Uh, So I end up watching all the videos. I go back and watch the original content. Uh... And it's basically, these guys are laughing about Kwame Brown being a bust. And look, Kwame Brown has heard this for 20 years, right? Like, it's it's no big secret that the majority of the world thinks he's one of the biggest busts in NBA history. So, people have been laughing at this guy for 20 years. And now he has these former teammates and former professional basketball players kind of jumping into that, that same group of people that are pointing the finger and laughing. And it it kind of felt like that was the tipping point. And he just goes off and you have to appreciate it, right? Like there's, there's something to be said for somebody being like, okay, you know what? All these faceless, nameless people that never played in the NBA can say whatever the hell they want to say. But I played the NBA for 13 years. I made millions of dollars. I don't give a fuck. But then you reach this point where it's like your peers are doing the same thing. And he's like, okay, I've had enough. And, uh, Dude, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Kwame Brown after just, you know what, saying enough is enough. Well, you got you to gotta stand up for yourself. And I'm, I'm, all right, so I'm pulling it up on, on basketball reference right now. Golly, I mean, you play 13, 13 years in the NBA. That's not a bust. You know, even if you look at even if you look at his numbers in his best year, he averaged eleven points per game. It was when he was with Washington, played seventy four games that year. Um, obviously, you know, just looking at his numbers on Basketball Reference, there were injury issues, and it was never quite the career that people thought it was going to be. But he was still good enough to hang around year after year. And make a ton of money. Something about that. He made, something about he made that north just, of sixty million dollars in his NBA career. That's, okay, that deserves some respect. Yeah, put some respect on that man's name. I mean, are we going to confuse him with a Hall of Famer? No. Not are we close. going to confuse yeah. him? Confuse him with any of the great All Stars that have played in this game? Absolutely not. But anybody who's played at that level, which Less than 1% of all people who play basketball get to play at that level. Understand how hard it is. Yeah. And understand what you have to go through just to be a guy like Charlie Brown, who was on 10-day contract after 10-day contract, and the Thunder were forced to finally kick, finally turn that over and, you know, pay him, you know, pay him a full year's salary. People get that. And what I don't understand is those who have played in that game 
it does it it does kind of strike me strange at how much disrespect goes on amongst professional athletes and performer former professional athletes. Look, and you and I witnessed it firsthand. So we're not speaking about this from just watching Kwame Brown's video. You and I work with former professional athletes. We know what they say about each other. And there really is, I mean, in a way, nothing changes from high school. If there's anything you learn in life, nothing changes from high school. There are the cool kids. There are the nerds. There are cliques in every workplace in America. And people just are incapable of getting along for one reason or another. I mean, you find your group, you hang out with, you hang out with him, whatever, but people are incapable of getting along and people become very petty for one reason or another. And if there is a person that that gets picked on that constantly gets picked on by somebody that everybody deems to be that person with all the answers, then, then people just pile on people pile onto that in the workplace. And that's what happened here with Kwame Brown. And Kwame did something we all want to do. He just stood up for himself and said, okay, you're going to point the finger at me and talk about how bad I was at basketball. Now get, now get ready for this. I think Kwame Brown is just a good lesson for us all. But maybe, maybe it's just better to not destroy people you know. Like, I... Like, hey, if, if you're if you're thinking about, you know, just sitting around the, the break room today and you're going to throw out some just random gossip about someone, maybe think better of it. Maybe you just bring up an, an, another topic that, than whether or not, you know, um, David's, you know, David's tie looks, looks stupid today or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Or da- da- yeah. David didn't get the vaccine. Okay, well... Yes, and I agree that would be stupid if David didn't get the vaccine. I'm totally on board with you. Everyone needs to get it. But, you know, you start ripping David. David knows things about you from the last time y'all went out drinking. Then it it just turns into a horrible situation. But good for Kwame Brown, man. Way to stand up for yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, he goes well beyond standing up for himself to the point that he is is taking action. And, yeah, it's... uh, I mean, it's the best content I've seen in the last week. By the way, for anybody that has not heard that or or uh, watched it or any of that, if you're going to go find the Kwame Brown content, it is not safe for work. It is not safe for kids. Make sure you're in a safe space before you hit play. Yeah, this is this is where you either plug in your earbuds right, or put right. in the or put in the the, the AirPods or what whatever it is. Yeah, you might want. Yeah, this is just it's content for you and you only. You can't even. Woo. I wouldn't even listen. I wouldn't even listen to this in a bar. Just make sure you got you got the headphones right. on. Make sure you're where nobody can can even remotely pick up on that audio. Because Kwame Brown is burning it to the ground. Um, this brought up an interesting thought process for me uh, as I was watching it. Because, you know, we, we throw around the term bust so often. And look, everybody is going to have a different definition of bust, right? Because there's no, there's no like, concrete definition of what a bust is. So it's all about, I think, perception, first and foremost, you know, and, and expectation. Um, 
what what is what is a bust to you? And are there different degrees of busts? Wow, that's a good that's a good question because I've I've thought about that for a while, and I know I'm in the minority. I don't consider Christian Leitner a bust. If you spend five years or longer playing at a professional level, you're not a bust to me. And even if you didn't live up to your expectations, like let's say you were taken with the number one overall pick or the number three overall pick, whatever it was. And the projection from the pundits was, well, this guy's going to be a six-time all-star or he's going to eventually be a scoring champion or he can defend multiple positions. This is the one guy that, that, that can come into the league and defend and, and defend Steph Curry as well as um, Anthony Davis, which, by the way, I don't know who the hell that would be. That's a very tall, very you know, light-footed individual. But just throwing out two very opposite players there. Even if you don't live up to that, if you're able to stay in the league for longer than five years and you have a skill set that continues to allow you to land on rosters, then to me, that's not a bust. That, that is the fault of the pundits. That is the fault of the general managers and the scouting departments. Those are the people that didn't do your job. You may have, in fact, played up to your capabilities. You may have busted your ass. You may have been, been in the weight room every day. You may have been on the court every day. And the fact of the matter is, is you just may not be as good as people thought you were. That happens. That happens in a lot of walks of life. That's not sports. That's not just a sports thing. That does not make you a bust. To me, a bust is when you, if you spend less than five years in a league, you're lazy, you're not showing up for work, you're not showing up for meetings. If there is a sense that you, the, the work ethic part of your, the work, your, your work ethic, if, if it's not there, to me, that makes you a bust. And I think Anthony Bennett kind of falls into that category. I mean, I, I almost hate the term, like Sam Bradford. I think you could probably, depending on how you classify, you could probably call Sam Bradford a bust, but he was hurt a lot of his career. And if somebody is injured a lot, like really injured, yeah. and everybody's got a different pain threshold, but if you're constantly injured and you can't get on the court or you can't get on the field, Greg Oden. how does that... Yeah, how does that make you a bust? Your body failed you. Yeah, that's not your that's that is not your fault. Your body failing you is not your fault unless you weren't in shape. You know, you didn't eat right. You chose not to listen to the doctors or get treatment. If you completely turn your back on it, then yeah, you fall in the bus. But if it's okay, I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to get treatment. I'm going to do what the doctor says. I'm going to rehab. I'm going to work my ass off. And your body still decides that, nah, we're not doing this. Your, your, your body decides that you're never going to be able to be healthy enough to be at that level. Then that to me is just unfortunate more than it is but. I, I think but has more to do with more to do with you just not giving a damn. You being that guy that was so that it came so easy to, from the time you were in elementary school through the time you were in college, that by the time you got to the NFL or the NBA, somehow you never realized that oh my God, there are people better than me. Right. 
Like I would say, or you just the, the do not give a damn factor. Like um, biggest bust. I think this guy's the biggest bust in the history of sports. It's the guy that God, what's his name? It's not Isaiah Thomas. I can't remember his name. But last year, the Titans drafted him in the first round. He's an offensive lineman out of the oh, Southeastern Conference uh, from Georgia. The Georgia kid. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm forgetting his name. I would say this guy is the biggest bust in the history of sports because you get drafted in the first round. Okay, you're struggling to learn the offense and pick it up, and then you get to a point where the Titans where the Titans just bench you. They're like, okay, we're done. You get caught. You get caught partying. You get caught partying during training camp. That's one thing that he did, smoking weed or whatever it was. He got caught partying during training camp. The Titans just finally said, okay, we're done with you. You're not taking this seriously. We're benching you. Then they traded him for pennies on the dollar. Isaiah Wilson. To Yeah, I, yeah, they traded him to uh, Miami, and then Miami had to release him. Yeah. The guy didn't play more than a handful of games. I don't even think a handful of games. First you can round count pick- on one hand how many – First round pick and out of the league in a year. Yeah, that's a bust. That that is the definition of a bust, and it's his own damn fault. I mean, that guy has that guy can't blame anybody else. He can only go look in the mirror and say, "Okay, it was me. It was me who did." And yeah, I mean, maybe. And that was you. You you chose the party when you could have been studying your playbook. You could have been getting with veterans. You could have been being with your coaches. If you're struggling, picking up the blocking schemes, or it's not translating from college to the NFL, you had control of all that. That was in your hands, and you chose not to. That, to me, is the definition of a bust. Because that says, yeah, I'm cool with it. So whatever the guy does in life, you know, I hope he's happy, but that's a guy that 10 years from now is going to look back and go, damn, I could have been set for life. I would never have had yeah. to work another day in my life if I'd have just, if I'd have just worked, if I'd have just worked in the NFL, if I'd have just worked really hard in the NFL, even if I only made it a few years, I might've made enough money to go invest and do something else and live the life I want to live. But now I'm like everybody else in the world. I got to go get a job. It's probably not going to pay me what I'm worth. So yeah, that he, that is a bust. Period. End of story. Yeah. I think we're probably on similar thought processes there. Uh, for me, I, I, when I think bust, I think of a guy that simply just isn't good enough to play at that level. Period. Like, you draft a guy, uh, Anthony Bennett, probably a good example of this. You gave the Isaiah Wilson um, example. Robert Swift is probably a really good example of this. A guy that gets drafted in the lottery, gets to the NBA, and clearly just isn't good enough to, to be on an NBA roster. Like, regardless of how good you think Kwame Brown was or wasn't, Kwame Brown was good enough to be on NBA rosters, and he was an NBA veteran. for. Thir- I mean, he played 13 years in the league, right? He was a, He was a role player. Now... This is where I think the whole bus conversation gets tricky because I think people generally attach the term bus to be, you know, being short of expectation. And part of that, I think, is almost it's almost the fault of people 
maybe misevaluating these guys before they get to the NBA, and then it's all of a sudden it's the guy's fault for not being as good as you thought he was supposed to be, right? Like, we all thought Christian Leitner, because of what he did at Duke, was supposed to be an NBA Hall of Famer, and he wasn't. We all had that expectation, and then we right. we label him a bust because he didn't reach our expectation. Uh, Christian Leitner made an NBA All-Star team. Like, was he as good as we all thought he was going to be? The answer is absolutely not. Did he did he realize all the potential we thought he had? Of course he didn't. I mean, we all thought that that, that guy was a can't-miss, guaranteed... You know, he's on the dream team, for crying out loud. But it's not like he wasn't good enough to play at that level. He played at that level quite successfully for a long period of time. Same thing for Kwame Brown. For I mean, years. Yeah, Kwame Brown he was in the NBA for 13 years. seasons. He wasn't a... A go-to guy. He was a role player that was good enough to be on an NBA roster and contribute depending on what you needed. Like, if you needed Kwame Brown to get you 20 points, then he probably wasn't your guy. But look, there are hundreds of players in the NBA right now that probably can't do that. You know, there are also hundreds of players in the NBA right now that if you need them to go set screens all game long and get rebounds, you know, they probably can't do that side of it. So everybody has a role. Kwame Brown played his role the problem is the role that Kwame Brown played isn't the role that you're generally expecting out of a number one overall pick. So I think part of the blame of like us having expectations and wanting to blame somebody for somebody not getting to those expectations is labeling them the bust when, you know, basically everybody was wrong about what that person was going to accomplish or what kind of player uh, that guy was was going to become. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, Robert Swift to me is a really good example of this. You talked about Anthony Bennett. Like if if you are clearly not good enough to stay on an NBA roster past, you know, the the guaranteed first contract, then I mean that that to me probably is a better example of a bust than a guy that just doesn't realize the expectations. I I would I would totally agree with that. And you know, sometimes even with with, with drafting, like I'm looking at Anthony Bennett right now. He played what Four, like four years, five years now, four years in the NBA. First contract, um, yeah, yeah, and never played more than than, than fifty seven games in a, in a particular season. I, you know, part of it is when it comes to the draft. Another thing you can't control is who is in the draft with you, and if it's a crummy draft class yeah. where there are only like three guys that everybody's saying, okay. These three individuals are going to make it in the NBA. Everybody else is a crapshoot. Well, after those first three picks, somebody has to go four. And if the team drafting you has you rated the highest player on the board, they're going to draft you. They may not necessarily like you, but if they can't trade out of that position because everybody else is sensing what they're sensing, which is, man, after the first three, yeah, we're kind of good picking late because there aren't any of these guys that we, you know, really want to pay that kind of money because of the way the contracts are structured. Or, you know, hey, we don't like him enough to say, you pick him, we're willing to pay him that money, and we'll draft this guy and we'll swap later. If that is just not the case, then you're going to get picked. And you're going to be on a team. And, and in most years, you might not have been the fourth pick. You may have been a guy that, that fell all the way back to late first round or early second round. But because it's a weak draft, you're lucky enough to be at number four. Now you're drafted. And unfortunately, even though you don't have the skills or the talent, 
to live up to that fourth overall pick, we're still expecting it. We're still yeah. expecting you to do that, and that's that's not that's not fair to you. Um, when really, what we should judge you on is the talent that that you present. And like I was looking at today, the guys that the Thunder could get, and Jalen Green is supposedly the fourth best player in in the draft, and that looks like where the Thunder are going to hit four or five. I mean, obviously, we don't know where the you know what the ping pong balls are going to go, and they screw things up. But this guy, like I, the thing I'm seeing about him is score. Like everything I read about him is volume score. Yeah, and everything I'm reading about him is and his other skills are raw, and they're going to have to be developed. Which, hey, look, if you're a six five shooting guard and you can score anywhere on the floor, you're a nice complimentary piece. I mean, to me, that says it, it almost says JJ Redick. And it may not even be giving J.J. Redick enough credit for everything that he's accomplished in the NBA, but this is a guy at the Thunder pick. It's somebody you're usually wanting to pick up when they're a little bit more seasoned, and if your salary cap allows you, it's that guy that you are adding to a roster that's just right there winning a championship. Now, for the Thunder, they've been looking for this kind of player forever. Like, they've never had that. I don't know. I mean, other than Kevin Durant, is there anyone they've had that can score from anywhere on the floor? I'm trying to remember. I don't think they've had just a – I can't remember the Thunder Paul, having Paul a George. pure shooter. Yeah. And, and George was a Ford. I mean, this guy's a guard. Yeah. So, you're going to go ahead and draft him, and it's great. You're going to get him for cheap. I just – I don't know by the time that he develops, you're still going to – have him or Shea around, but but let's say he comes in and all the guy can do is shoot, and that's what that's what the the book on him was is he's a shooter. Don't count on him to defend. Don't count on him to rebound. You know, don't, don't count on him to really move all that well without the ball. He's a guy if he gets open, he can he can hurt you and he can he can score in volume. Yeah, that's great. And if that all if that's all he ever does, then he lives up to his expectations, but people are going to be disappointed that you took him at four and don't, you know, just credit that as being a crummy draft. Yeah. Um, so. By the way, I, here's the top yeah, 10 I mean, of that 2001 draft. You ready for this? Kwame Brown yeah. goes number one. And look, I think a lot of the Kwame Brown stuff is because A, he was the number one pick in the draft, but B, he was, he went to Michael Jordan's team, right? Like if he had gone right. anywhere else and then, and then he was a teammate of Kobe's. Like if he had maybe gone anywhere else, there's there's probably not nearly the same spotlight, and it's a completely different conversation. Um, that aside, it goes Kwame Brown, Tyson Chandler, Pau Gasol. So a solid top three, but I mean, look, Tyson Chandler was a terrific yeah. player, but it's not like he was a perennial All Star as the second overall pick. No, Pau Gasol Hall of Famer. Pau Gasol Hall of Famer, but look at that time, you know the European high picks weren't like a common thing. I mean, you might get one every other year. Um, so then it goes Eddie Curry, Jason Richardson, Shane Battier, Eddie Griffin, Dasana Jopp, Rodney White, and Joe Johnson. Wow. Pretty, pretty underwhelming, underwhelming, pretty underwhelming draft. Yeah, I... Wow. Um, so Kwame Brown wasn't as good as 
what the, the second or third player picks. But after that, I mean, it's not like I don't know any GMs that are bragging about taking any of those guys. I mean, those aren't exactly re- those aren't exactly resume builders. If you're considering yourself a, a franchise builder, that's just just some dudes. Yeah, I mean, really, like, you know, like Jason Richardson was a good player, but. I mean, he was never an all-star. I, 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 like, I think the expectation no. is if you're taken in the top 10, we all expect that you're going to be, you know, an all-star caliber player. Like, that's that's kind of, I think, what the expectation is. And look, I think uh, Joe Johnson, I think, was an all-star at one point in time um, for, what, Atlanta? I think he made, like, five or six all-star teams in Atlanta. He was the number 10 pick. Obviously, Pau Gasol is a future Hall of Famer. Other than that, I, nobody else, I don't believe. Um, did Tyson Chandler ever make an all-star team? I know he, he was may a... may have. One time. He, he made an all-star champion. team in 2013 with the Knicks. So, Tyson Chandler was a one-time all-star. But that just kind of shows you like how difficult it is to be an NBA all-star. But that's what the expectation is, I think, when, when you start talking about top 10 picks. So... Through no fault of a lot of these guys, you know, it's it it's just a maybe a, a, a it's an unfair expectation maybe that if you're taken in the top ten, you need to turn into that caliber of player. When in reality, like the twenty four or so guys every year that are NBA All Stars, I mean, they are the elite of the elite of the elite, right? Like that is such a small percentage of dudes. Well, okay, and let's say Jalen Green goes to, goes to the Thunder at four right now. So we're expecting this guy, a shooting guard, right? He is he is going to knock what? A healthy Clay Thompson, a C.J. McCollum. Um, I think of other shooting guards in the West right now. A Devin Booker. He's going he's gonna to knock all these guys off their perch within the first two or three seasons, so he works his way into the All-Star game. That's I mean, that, that's crazy to even yeah. remotely to remotely think that this guy is yeah. going to be that good. Or even Shane, think about Shane Gilgis Alexander, who Thunder fans love. Shane Gilgis Alexander, the whole time he's in the West, may never be good enough to make the All Star game until some of these guys start to retire. Doesn't mean yeah. he's a bad player. Yeah. Just means that these guys weren't bad enough for for him to for him to unseat. And when you're Damian Lillard. And you can hit from anywhere on the floor, and you've got Dame time and all this other stuff behind you. And the perception is is that you're one of the possibly right. top five players in the NBA. No matter how good Shea Gilgis Alexander is, when it comes to the voting for the All Star game, the advanced players, whoever, you may think, okay, Shea's pretty good, but he's better than Damian Lillard. And, and most of the time, even if he's having a better year, if you're a fan. You and you're not living in Oklahoma City. You're going to have a hard time reconciling that you're going to pick this guy over Dame. And most fans are going to want to see Dame. And again, it's a fan vote. And so now it's up to the fans. And the fans always want to see the biggest names. Well, now then it gets down to the coaches. It gets down to the players. And that's when politics gets involved. Because if you're if you're the coach of the All Star Game, you're not going to pick a guy who's not on your team if he's a borderline all-star. Because you know if you don't, that can cause a rift unless you and him have such a healthy respect for each other. You can bring him into your office and say, 
I'm going to go with Shea over you because of these particular reasons. And it doesn't mean that I like you less. You know I respect you, and I'll try and make it up to you somehow. And then maybe you're fine, but in order not to destroy that relationship or not have harmony in the locker room, you're smart for taking your guy. So now, I mean, there's so much we don't take into consideration when we decide that we're going to we're going to tear somebody down for their career when, when like I always say, step back, look at the big picture, say everything out loud, and then you come to some understanding as to why things work out the way that they, they do in, in those particular instances. Yeah, I, for sure. And look, I mean, if again, it, it's, I talked to I did a big thing on this a while back um, on the radio at one point, but I, I I broke down the numbers of like NBA All Stars and draft picks, and again, I think everybody has the expectation if you're picking in the top ten, the hope is that you're getting an All Star, you're getting a guy that is a difference maker to that degree. The reality is there are so few of those guys that that you know become that caliber of player, and part of it also depends on whether or not you have found that number one or two guy, right? Like if you are a team that's picking in the top five, let, let's let's take the Thunder, for example. They have Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, right? They have their future one and two. When they were taking James Harden, the expectation wasn't, I need to find my number one guy. I need to find the guy that's going to run the team for the next decade. No, they already had that guy in Kevin Durant. They were looking for the third complementary piece to their young emerging team. Other teams may be looking for the guy, quote-unquote. You know, James Harden turned into the guy, but that wasn't necessarily the goal of the Thunder at that point, right? Like, so everybody's goals, depending on what their roster looks like, are different. So, well, and and that, again, that's something that that falls on, on GM. I mean, what is your goal? Who are you going to get? Who are the players? Who are you siding? What is the salary cap situation like? I mean, it just, there's so much to it yeah. that that even we, I think a lot of times, I mean, even our best intentions were, were short-sided with, with how we look at things. And look, look at this, you know, Thunder season. Like, I had a guy call me yesterday and said the, the easiest way to, to solve tanking is to get rid of the salary cap, but it puts you right back in the situation where the big markets, have a major advantage over the small markets in that situation. Right. Because if they can spend, because if the Lakers and the Knicks can spend an unlimited amount of money, now granted, they've got to spend it wisely. You, the Thunder, the Grizzlies, the Spurs, like all these teams have a limit as to what they would be able to offer players. And if a guy is just all about the money and an extra 10 mil is going to make the difference. Yeah. Clay Bennett's going get, to get outbid every, every time. single time. Every time, yeah. I mean, look at the Yankees they, in baseball, right? Like, if they want a right. guy, they're going to get a guy because they can outspend everybody else. Now, they didn't get Cliff Lee. I mean, sometimes guys don't want to play in New York. They don't right. like to play for the organization, so there's no amount of money you can, you can offer that guy to make him go, okay, yes. Okay, yes, I'll go. But it certainly makes him think about it. And if Clay Bennett were to put his best offer in front of LeBron James, you know, whatever it was, he still can turn it down. So does that make him a bad owner? No. I mean, 
Yeah. All you can do is offer a guy a contract and he chooses to come or not. And then all of a sudden, somehow it comes back on, on, on ownership. The problem with the NBA, it isn't the tape. But what, what fans have to realize is there's no way to fix professional sports where your biggest media markets aren't always going to have the advantage. Yeah, they're going to be organizations like the Mavericks, which for some reason don't attract the type of free agents that they should. Like, I still have no idea why people don't want to play for the Mavericks. But there is nothing you can do in the NBA, Supermax, whatever, setting it up so the current team you're on can offer you longer years and more money than the team you're going to. I think the NBA is not about as best as it could to give the small markets any sort of help, any sort of advantage, and it just hasn't worked out that way. And anything anything you try and use to go back and change it, the consequences are still going to are still going to be the same. Yeah. So that's just, that's just where that's just life. And as a Thunder fan, unfortunately, this isn't the, this isn't going to be the last time you tank. It's going to happen again, but welcome to life in a small market, which I'm asking you, you've been around here since the Thunder's inception. Did people understand then that this was a small market team and do they understand it now? I think people were just happy to have it here. I mean, look in that, those first couple seasons, they were terrible, but, but the place was packed every night. And people were just going crazy every night, even in losses, because it was just great to have the NBA playing in Oklahoma City. And, I mean, the Thunder is such a unique situation because you have this fan base that didn't have the NBA. All of a sudden, you're gifted this team that has Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And from year one, you could see that there was a special ability with those two guys. Uh, And, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, they're contenders for a decade. Like, it's a, it's a, I still don't think, I think Thunder fans are still right now kind of really getting their first taste of what the NBA is for a small market team. Because I think they've been incredible, like the Thunder have been incredibly blessed to this point. Can they accept being good but maybe never winning a championship, or if they win a championship, it may be kind of a once in a life. I mean, can they accept that they may not, they may never turn into the Spurs, that they may be the Kings, they may be the Grizzlies, where you've got some good teams, some fun teams, or the Blazers, and they're good, but they never win a championship. Can can they accept that? Or are there too many OU fans around here? And are there too many talk show hosts, one in particular, who just won't accept mediocrity, in air quotes, that that essentially they paint the narrative that it's a bad organization that's an organization that doesn't want to win? I think the majority of people, just a, number one, appreciate the fact that we still have the NBA. Number two... This is a tough year because obviously there are a lot of factors at play with COVID and, you know, not having people in the arena. And I feel like people in general are somewhat disconnected from Thunder basketball 
as opposed to what it would be in a normal season. Like, I think there would be more disgruntled fans about what they've watched this year if you actually had people in the arena versus nobody being there on a nightly basis and watching it on television and being like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, you're not there. Like it's, I, I think there's just a disconnect this season that probably makes it a little easier to swallow with this tank job. But I think in, in the seasons where the thunder are putting a product on the floor for the most part, if people feel like that team is playing hard, I think people are going to be able to, to just accept whatever the outcome is. I don't think people, re- like, I, that that final season with Westbrook, Paul George, and Car- Carmelo Anthony, that was the season where I feel like we really got a good idea of what the fan base expects. And for the majority of yeah. that season, we heard all three of those guys talk about, like, we need to do better. We know what the problems are. We've got to iron them out. We'll get it fixed. And they kept saying that for the entire season, and they never did. And it was a team that just really almost every night felt flat. They just never really seemed to like kick it into that just try hard gear. Like regardless of anything else, whether the shots are going down or not, just give us the impression that everything you have is being left on the court on a nightly basis. And that didn't really, I'm not saying that they weren't trying, but I'm saying that the perception was it felt like there was always more from that team that wasn't given. And I think people got really frustrated with that. And then you fast forward to the next season and it's Chris Paul and Shea and Dort and that team. And people love that team, despite the fact that yep. they never had a chance to win an NBA championship. They were so much better than any of us gave them credit for. And like, they were fun to watch, but that team was nowhere close to winning a title. But people love them because every night you felt like you were going to get there all. They were going to rep Oklahoma City the right way because they were going to do everything in their power to try and win every single night. And I think that, I think, kind of showed what this fan base really embraces. I would would agree with you on that. Um, And the whole idea of, you know, were were they a contender? That 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 got BSed around a little bit. I mean, look, some fans wanted to believe that team could win a championship, or they were a contender. If you were honest, you, you knew they couldn't, but they were a lot of fun to watch, and they were easy to root for because a Chris Paul, um, who was in reputation rehab at the time, became a really likable guy. Yeah, Shay was a likable guy. Yeah. Darius Baisley was the kid. Um, and you had Thunder fans defend Terrence Ferguson, even though there were some accusations out there that seemed indefensible. You had, you know, Thunder fans willing to defend to defend him. They they love Lou Dort. I I I don't. I keep thinking that there's going to be no player more loved than Russell Westbrook during his time in Oklahoma City, but I think Lou Dort might end up falling a close second. Um, and you can what, what does Lou Dort do, Thunder. Eric? What does Lou Lou Dort do? He, he plays defense. He, he plays his ass it. off every night. Like, that's what this yes. fan base loves. When when they can watch you play and you feel like genuinely that guy just gives everything he has, the, this fan base will fall in love with you. Okay, so here's what we've established. And just doing this, what we've established is there is a disconnect between some in the media, I won't say all Oklahoma City media, some in the Oklahoma City media and the fan base about what is truly expected of the Thunder and, and what the Thunder really are. 
I think you've got enough guys in the media who have covered the upper echelon of college football for so long that they're clouded by trophies. And they firmly believe that it's strictly about the end result. And when it comes to OU, you are absolutely 100% right. That logic does not apply to Oklahoma State. That logic does not apply to the Thunder. They are different entities than what the University of Oklahoma is. And who else do the Thunder fans appreciate? Yeah, I mean, they're third, I mean, the third most, most popular guys. They love Nick Collison. Yeah, exactly. They, they love Steven Nick Adams. Collison and they love, yes. And you had people in the media hate Stephen Adams. Well, he doesn't fit the, he doesn't fit the new NBA. Well, okay, you're right. Stephen Adams has no range. Uh, the dude is, he, he's not going to be Nikola Jokic. He's not going to go out from beyond the arc and be a threat. Hell, he can't yeah. defend beyond the arc. Uh, what he does do is play defense. He rebounds. He is unse- He's a very unselfish player. Um, I think for what he is footwork-wise, I think he moves okay without the basketball, but he's not really he's not really asked to. It's go down, play the block. You know, and, and and go head to head with Rudy Gobert when when he decides to drive to the rim. Right. Um. The dude has the dude has an arm that would probably make Aaron Rodgers jealous. Um. <laughs> create some incredible full court passes, but it was just it was all that plus that personality, that right. New Zealand personality that he had, and the fact that when he would really be himself in front of the media, he would have these you know. You know, you know, snappy quotes. Okay, so the media didn't think he was great, but the fans loved him. And I hate to say it, I mean, for people in the media, the fans are more important. The fans will always be more important than us because they're the ones that tie the jerseys. They're the ones that pay the tickets. They're the ones that that take their hard-earned money and go to the game. We get a credential. We are the, the we're the liaison between. The fans and between the fans and 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 the players, right? And look, we're, we're, we we have to be critical. I mean, there are times where we have got to say, okay, Stephen Adams had a crappy game, and yes, when he plays against Nikola Jokic, look out because he's going to get torched. We have to say that. We have to be honest. But even if we're being honest, our job isn't to turn the fans against him. And I think that's what a lot of people in the media wanted to do is they wanted to turn the fans against certain players and have the fans demand something out of the team where it's probably not a realistic expectation. And what we're seeing now is Sam Presti understands, look, the Thunder are the Oakland A's. They're the Kansas City Royals. That's how they're right. going to that's how they're going to operate. We can't ex- we being the media cannot expect them, cannot tell, cannot tell the fans and be truthful. Yeah, they should just they should just do what the Lakers do. I mean, you know, the Thunder should just be able to go out and get LeBron James. That's never going to happen. Yeah. So that's the thing. I, I think the fans really understand what this organization is. I think they embrace it. Um, there is some unrealistic expectation on the fan part that. All the players that are going to come here are going to love it, and they're never going to want to leave. Like, yeah. there were some that wanted Danilo Gallinari to say, "Oh, he loves it here. He's going to stay here." And it's like, no, he's probably not. He's, he's on the back end of his career. Of his yeah, he's yeah, it, career. It you know, you 
you know, it, it, it doesn't mean he, he hates you or hates Oklahoma City because he's leaving. He just, he understands there's a rebuilding process. He's late. He didn't want to be a part of that. You right. can't blame him yeah. for that. Understandably. Yeah. So don't feel hurt when that happens. Just be thankful for the time that he was here. Kevin Durant, completely different story. And, and I got into that conversation with my um, with a guy yesterday about how, you know, tr- you know, the Kevin Durant that that, that game where um, Clay Thompson, you know, essentially knocked the Thunder out of the playoffs. Um, how that changed the trajectory of of the NBA. And what the narrative might be like had the Thunder won and won a championship and Kevin Durant left, people would have been like, oh, man, it's awesome. You won a championship here. Go, you know, God bless you. Go on. You did exactly what you came to do. Um, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, I don't know if fans are ever going to forgive Kevin Durant. I don't know where they are on Kevin Durant at this point. I'm sure it's not as, you know, painful a wound as it used to be because you're enough years removed from it. But that's just it. I mean, the only thing I would say to fans is you've got to be accepting of the fact that when a guy moves on, it's nothing personal. It's just business that we, that we would all do. But other than that, I would have more of a message to the media of let's quit trying to, let's quit trying to make the thunder. OU. let's quit trying to make them something that they're not. It's a small market team in a, in a sport that is not designed for small markets to be dynasties which certainly makes what San Antonio did even, oh, my God, that much more impressive. That, that yeah. thing, honestly, Colby, for everything the Lakers accomplished in the 80s, the Bulls in the 90s, the Lakers with, with Kobe, the, you know, the great Celtics teams of the past, because of the time that it came and the market that it was in and the players they had, no run in professional sports may be more impressive than what the San Antonio Spurs had for that. 20 or so years. No, and, I, I and agree. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Thunder people, we should appreciate it because chances are it's never going to re- be repeated. You're not going to see Memphis do that. Orlando is not going to do that. Sacramento is not going to do that. Oklahoma City is not going to do that. I mean, could there be championships in all those markets? Yes, but chances are there's probably just going to be a lot of good teams that compete and Hey, if the Lakers and the Celtics are winning championships, but Oklahoma City is getting to the conference finals or advancing in the playoffs, that's that, that doesn't suck. Yeah, <laughs> it could be worse. It could be a hell of a lot worse. The the problem is, I mean, you kind of made the OU Thunder comparison, and you're exactly right. I think there is a college football mentality that is applied to the NBA. And look, the expectation for OU is national championship every year, right? They're a blue blood of the sport, right? There's there's no excuse for them to not be at the top every year. The, the the thing with the NBA, and look, this applies to the entire NBA. This applies to the Lakers just like it applies to the Oklahoma City Thunder. The landscape of the NBA changes so drastically every 365 days that there you can't just put a blanket expectation on any market from a long-term standpoint. It changes every year. Like, literally, you might be championship expectations one year and lottery the next year. Like, you have to adjust, I think, the way that you evaluate and view these teams in the NBA on a yearly basis because one player making a free agent move can completely change the entire league. So, 
this idea that, you know, what was happening for the Thunder in 2011 should still be the same expectation in 2021 is just insanity. Like, you don't even know the sport you're talking about if that's the way you're evaluating the NBA. Um, there was a period of time where I, I absolutely believe championship should have been the expectation. The Thunder had three MVP caliber players. The Thunder had three guys that are going to be guaranteed Hall of Famers. I mean, it's just a very rare thing to have that collection of talent on an NBA roster. And if you miss your opportunity, you miss your... I mean, you don't get those opportunities very often. So I do think it's fair when the Thunder had it going to say they should have won a championship. They should have. They fell short. Now, that doesn't make what we watched any, you know, less remarkable or, you know, but the expectation should have been championship. They were good enough to win a championship. Now they're not. And unless they get another Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook pairing, the expectation is not championship. But I think it's fair to change the expectation based on what your roster looks like. And right now they're nowhere close to that. And unless they hit the the lottery gold again, I mean, th- literally what they did has never been done in the history of the NBA. So unless that happens again, I don't think we're going to get back to those championship expectations. But... Um, if you're somebody that's still holding on to the same expectations that you had for this team over the last decade, then you're completely oblivious to the way the NBA works. Yeah, and, and even going back to those championship expectations, a lot of people want to point point at Sam Preston and say, well, you should have never traded James Harden. Okay, well, that, that may be. Okay, but Sam Preston didn't know Russell Westbrook was going to you know, suffer suffer a catastrophic knee injury at the hands of Patrick Beverly when when that happened. You can't plan for Kevin Durant suffering a Jones fracture. And probably, I mean, if you look at all the years that were probably most set up for the Thunder to win a championship going into the season, it was that year. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, Kevin Durant suffers a Jones fracture. Russell Westbrook you know, has, you know, knee issues. The year that Kevin Durant won his MVP, remember, one of the main reasons Kevin Durant won the MVP that year is because Russell Westbrook was out like 38 games, okay? And that was the year that they were probably better than San Antonio, but they couldn't get past San Antonio because Serge Ibaka got hurt. Like, they hit, a, they hit three, after that finals, they hit three straight years of just, Massive bad luck. God, awful, awful luck. Yeah, for sure. And, but again, that doesn't somehow, change the expectation. I mean, the they, expectation was No, but it doesn't change yeah. the expectations. But, it, you know, a lot of people blame Scott Brooks for that. A lot of people blame Sam Presti for that. It was like, well, wait a second. Um, yeah. They didn't make these guys get injured. Yes, if you'd have had James Harden that year that Russell Westbrook got hurt, he could have came in, played point, picked up some of the slack. The Thunder would have been better. It doesn't guarantee that they would have been the Heat because remember, after the Heat beat them in the finals, the Heat kicked their ass just about every time they met the regular season. And I really honestly believe that the Thunder had a mental block against the Miami Heat where if they had run into the Heat in the finals at any point during those three years while LeBron was playing for the Heat, I would have bet the house that they would have lost that matchup. Because I just think once the Heat destroyed them in that first series, beating them four to one, 
and then continue to pile on afterwards, I don't know that they had the mental fortitude to, to hang with them. There was a fear factor there that, you know, I think the only one that didn't have it was probably Russ. Because I don't think Russ is afraid of anyone. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Russ is a hell of a lot like Kwame Brown. Um, <laughs> going, back to, going back to the first thing, I mean, like Russ honestly believes, I, you put Russ in his prime versus Michael Jordan, his prime one-on-one, Russ is truly going to believe he can beat him. And, you know, sometimes his play reflected that. Sometimes it made his, you know, made his play a little bit erratic. But it was still a really good era. And, and to recapture that, like you were talking about, Kobe, it's gonna, Kobe is going to take so much luck. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's, it's probably... It's, it's, I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's, it's extremely unlikely that we're going to get to yeah. the point where, once again, we're talking about the Thunder as serious championship contenders. Right. Or, you know what, I, I shouldn't say that. I, like, I think we they can get back to the point where they can be championship contenders. I guess I should say where the expectation is championship because the expectation for a decade here was championship because they were good enough to be the best team in the NBA. I think they can get back to the point where we say, like, hey, they're in this, like, handful of teams that have a chance. So... Maybe saying contender is, that, that's unfair. They could be a contender again. But to say, like, going into a year, I believe the Thunder are the best team in the NBA. Like, that's, that we may never see that again. No. It, it may be, hey, they're good enough to, you know, to make it into the playoffs. And if, and if everything breaks right, they could end up in the finals. But I think you're right about that. And, and as long as there are super teams, you're, I hate to say it, no matter what NBA market you're in, big or small, you're always going to fear that your star player is going to team up with someone else. And I, like I've always said, unless there's another Tim Duncan out there that <laughs> really wants, <laughs> that, you know, yeah. that, you know, and that really wants to stay in Oklahoma City or really wants to stay wherever they are. And who knows? Maybe Giannis is that guy in Milwaukee. Maybe Giannis stays there for his entire career, championship or not. It's hard to think that, you know, you're going to be watching these guys for the duration of their career right. in any one particular uniform. The days of the days of Kobe Bryant are gone. Now, Dane Lillard might. Giannis might. And Dame Lillard is probably one of those guys as bad as he wants to win a championship if he doesn't do it in Portland. He may stay there the rest of his career because it may yeah. not mean as much to right. him to try and do it someplace else. Right. And God bless him. I love those guys. Absolutely. How can you not? Yeah. Guys. Me against the world. How can you not? And, and I would love for one to come to Oklahoma City. I just don't know who that is. And I'm 100% convinced that it's not Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, well, I, I think yeah, he is. I, we're in agreement there. I don't Shay's. I, I don't think Damian Lillard or Giannis. But look, the bottom line is well, no, those those guys have won championships. Mean, I don't even mean by like I, I don't see that happening necessarily either. So yeah, and I don't even believe I don't even believe that he is. Um, I'm not even talking about skill wise. I just think Shay is too much of a new a, a new breed NBA player. Where it's like, hey, if I don't. You know, I don't get it done here. I'll go someplace else. Yeah. And, and, and he's a, I think the new breed of NBA player also likes the expectation of being 
or, or likes the freedom of being more nomadic, if, if that makes any sense. I think they like the idea of being able to wear a whole lot of different uniforms and playing with a, you know, playing alongside a, a whole lot of different guys. It's just a, it's just a different, it's a different feel now than what it was if you were growing up in the seventies and it was like, you know, the players represented the team and the city and, and, you know, that's what they were. Now it's more like I represent myself. I am a corporation. And if that corporation is in Oklahoma city and making a lot of money, fantastic. But if it can move to, um, San Francisco and do that or Brooklyn, the way that Kevin Durant did or San Antonio, then I'm good with that too. Yeah. You know, cause it's just, it, it's more about yourself than it is any sort of larger collective. No doubt. Eric, always good stuff. My friend, I know you got to go. There is also a new Kwame Brown video, uh, with him apparently now going after Stephen A. Smith. So, um, I have to exit immediately and, and go catch this. So, uh, if you, I'm going to give you time to do this as well. Cause I know you have things coming up also. So, uh, again, always oh, appreciate you, you Brown. and uh, we will catch up again next Tuesday. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks to Eric G from the Tulsa sports animal joining me on today's episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by artisan botanicals in Midwest city. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom CBD or Delta eight. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to reach out to artisan botanicals. They have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life. 405-458-9699. Whether you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. And we're saving you 15% when you order online. abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order. Once again, that website is abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.